Oh, good morning, everybody. It is, so, uh, it is so good to be here with you this morning. My name is uh, Joel, and yeah, thanks. See, I have one fan. I'm so, oh, a, a couple more. All right. Um, if I start giving out money in the back, do I have more fans? I won Powerball last night. Do I have a lot more fans? Uh, you guys weren't paying attention, apparently. All right. Anyway, hey, it is so good to be here. So my name is Joel Garrison, and um, I'll just give you a little bit about myself here, what brings me here this morning. Um, I, have, I have been speaking with Bridgewater um, over the last year. I've, I've, actually, my wife and I, my, our family, we've been attending Bridgewater, the Conklin campus, for about a seven-year period of time. Um, prior to that, I had been a youth pastor at, uh, at a church in the area for a number of years, and actually, back in, I believe it was 2015, 2016, I actually was here on a regular basis with uh, what was at the time Ross Corners Baptist Church as well, um, working with Pastor Jeff, who was here speaking last week with you guys, with uh, Don McCall, who was here doing some intermediate work with you, and ultimately, with, which led you in the direction of becoming a Bridgewater campus. Uh, so I, I guess I would say this, if you are happy that you are a Bridgewater campus, give me the credit. If you're there like Bridgewater Campus, that's not a good thing. Blame Pastor Jeff who was here last week, okay? That's, that's the best. No, I, 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 say that to have, I say that to have fun with you this morning. But it, is, it really is. It is very good to be here. I am excited to be here. Um, our friends, your, your friends, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ from Conklin, um, Jeff told me, Jeff, Jeff Schreckengast told me, hey, make sure that you tell them hello up there from us as well. As I mentioned, I've been speaking there for about the last year, and they have a campus pastor, a new campus pastor that is starting there today. So they are excited to have that journey for them um, come to its uh, fruition, I guess, by having, a, by having a campus pastor there. And I understand that you guys are also in the process. I know that Brett has been speaking here quite a bit. Isn't it the, amazing the way God works things out? Um, they had actually said, hey, Joel, we want you to go speak at Ross Corners on the 12th of December. This is a, this is a month or two ago. And, uh, and from what I understand, um, Pastor Brett is not doing well. Their family has been, uh, they've been under, under the weather a little bit this past week. So you do want to remember them in prayer as well. But I know that he is looking forward to being back with you next week. So that is exciting right there. Um, we are going to start a series, right? We're in the midst of a, of a brand new series. We're not in the midst. How can you be in the midst of a brand new series? But we're going to be part of a new series, and it's this right here, Emmanuel, um, God with us. And we are going to be taking a look through this passage, um, we're gonna, well, through this series over the next two weeks, and then leading up to your Christmas Eve service, um, leading us, hopefully, and encouraging us, moving us forward in this, what we would call the Christmas season. We are going to be starting to take a look at the whole idea of what comes up and what comes along with Christmas. How many of you are excited? You're looking forward to Christmas. How many of you are like, I can't wait to see what my presents are this year? All right, there's a handful of us still. The rest of us are like, how many of you are, how many of you are the givers and you're there like, I can't wait to see the look on those that I give presents to? All right, that's good. All right, that, that's, that's, by, by the way, I'm still open for more gifts. I can give you my list. Um, uh, no, I'm, but uh, we, isn't it, isn't it exciting we have this anticipation that we look forward to something? As a kid, I, I remember that I used to look so, I used to love to look forward to Christmas, right? You love to look forward to Christmas morning, see what the presents are that you're going to get, um, hope and wait, hope and wait. And then I remember December 26th, what's the worst thing about December 26th? It's over, Christmas is 364 days away. What could be more discouraging than that, Right? 
You're like, oh, boy. And then as an adult, what do you do? You get older, and as an adult, what do we realize? That we, we, we like that. We like the whole break there. But it doesn't matter that Monday after New Year's or whenever it is that you're going back to work, that's coming too, and you're like, oh, right out of us, right? But, but I, I shouldn't get us all discouraged looking to the end of the season. I want us to have anticipation waiting and looking forward to Christmas. All right, we wait and we look forward. For some of you, it may just be that you're looking forward to a little bit of rest, right? You're looking forward to, boy, I, I, I love Christmas Eve because everything's done. The stores are closed. I can't go get anything else. I can just take a deep breath, relax, right? And some of us, some of us may be waiting for that. Others of you, you may be there like, you know what? I, I don't look forward to that because then it's just I, I, we get there and, and it's, it's a time of I'm, a, I'm lonely. Or it's a time where I, I, I don't have the fondest of memories from growing up. And I, and I get a little discouraged and it gets me down a little bit. And each one of us, we, we come with these different thoughts. We come with different emotions as to what will catch us in our, in our lives, what, what grabs onto us, what takes hold of us in our lives. Well, this morning, what, what I want to do is I just want to walk through a passage of Scripture that hopefully, hopefully guides and hopefully encourages and hopefully leads each one of us in this direction that we want to go in worshiping our Lord, worshiping our Savior, and worshiping our God here at this time of the year. And it's great because what does it do? It turns us back towards God. Now, I don't know how many of you, I, I don't know where, what your background is, how many of you have grown up in church and you've always come to church and you're like, hey, I've been through church, I've heard all the different Christmas stories. Um, but some of you may be new, and sometimes we forget, we, you know, we're familiar with Matthew, we're familiar with Luke, we're familiar with the gospel accounts of Christmas, and, and sometimes we, we forget that there's a backstory. For, for some of you, you're like, no, 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 we've heard the backstory. As a matter of fact, you're there like, we've heard the Hallelujah course. we've been to Handel's Messiah, we know what that is. If you don't know what that is, that's all right, you can Google that, you can listen to it online later, have a few hours cut out, ready to go. Right and follow, but but you're aware that you know what there's a prophecy of the Old Testament, and this morning that's what I want to do. I want to take a look at the prophecy. You see, we just sang this song. Um, what a number! What a powerful name it is, and this is one of those names, right? Emmanuel, and and you're gonna forgive me. I'm gonna turn and look at the screen quite a bit this morning, um, because I will use that. I will use that just really to guide our ideas, to guide our thoughts. But, but, as, but as we go through this, I want you to know that what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel is one of the names that was used for our Savior. And we're going to be taking a look this morning at where that came to be. But to get us started, right, the Christmas season all starts with, or we, we get it started with, the story of Mary and Joseph. Right, all of a sudden, um, in, uh, at a point in history, as a matter of fact, uh, we would be to told at the fulfillment, when the fulfillment of time had come, God sent his son into the world. And in Matthew chapter 1, we are, we are told about a man named Joseph. Joseph, who was espoused to this young lady named Mary. And Mary was found to be with child. In the midst of her being found to be with child, you understand, we, we understand what the difficulty with that is. Hang, hang on. She's pregnant um, and word is out and known, and I am her espoused husband, and I know that it's not my child. 
my assumptions go to what, what would normally be everybody's assumption, that she has been with a, another man, that something has happened. And as a result of that, in her culture, certainly I, I am going to put her away. We are not going to have anything to do with her. Um, I am no longer going to have anything to do with her. And the trouble and the difficulties in the life of this individual, Joseph. But Matthew gives us a story And he says, but after he had considered these things, you see, Joseph considers the idea. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 21, I believe it is, and I think we have that right here on the screen for us as well, right? There we go. Um, Joseph had considered these ideas, and after he had considered this, and that's putting her away, she's pregnant, what do we do with her? We're told that an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And as this angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home with you as your wife, all right? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. He continues on there. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And why are you to give him the name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. What a great promise we have. What a story that is told. What a wonderful thing that is told. You are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his his people from their sins. And then he continues on and says this, all this, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. One of the amazing things about the Christmas story and one of the amazing things about what is told to us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or if he is not your Lord and Savior, if you were just here visiting and you're wondering, I want you to know one of the amazing things that is told to us about Jesus Christ is the fact that he fulfilled prophecy after prophecy of the Old Testament. If you are not a follower of Christ, if you are someone who doubts, if you are someone who wonders about it, you have to do something with that. You see, the prophecies that are written, the Jewish scripture that contains the prophecy that is written, is written was written before the time of Christ. So if there is something that is pointing forward and it is looking to the life of Christ and Christ fulfills that, you have to do something with, well, is it just a mere coincidence? You see, it wasn't all written down in the seven and eight hundreds uh, um, A.D. after Christ, all right, in the year of our Lord, in, in the common, common era, but rather it was written down prior to Christ being born. So you have to do something with that. And this morning, what we want to do, what I want to do, is take a look at this passage of Scripture that leads us forward into this time, a moment when God looked down and said, you know what, I am going to proclaim and I am going to bring my hope and I am going to bring my promise to the people and he will deliver them. So, in the midst of that time, in the midst of what takes place there, there's some waiting that occurs. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, a little bit of waiting, because we might not always like to wait, 
But I think in the midst of this, we do wait. So I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, I'll encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7 is where we are going to be looking this morning. All right? Um, and like I say, the words, will, uh, the words, I believe, will be up on the screen here for you. But we are going to look right in this passage of Scripture as well and see what, see what we're told through Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet that prophesies about uh, 735. This, as a matter of fact, the story that we look at this morning occurs about 735 years prior to the time of Christ. And, and this, is what we are, this is what we are told in, I, in Isaiah. Um, we're told this, the virgin will conceive. All right, the virgin will conceive. Excuse, oh, you know what? I, I skipped this part of Matthew here. Fortunately, my, fortunately, the brains of the operation in the back are keeping me up to date with the last part of uh, Matthew, where the uh, prophet did say, where it was prophesied that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jump forward to that next slide with me, if you would, because we're going to take a look at this idea. There is a map right here, and this map right here is going to give us the idea as to where we are talking about, the time era that we are talking about. And if you look at this map right here, you're going to see that it's, it's roughly the Assyrian Empire, and it gives you the dates from 934 to uh, 612 B.C., and as, as we look at that right there, I want you to know that the idea as to what we are looking at this morning is going to take place in about 735, as I mentioned before, 735 B.C. If you like history, that might be of interest to you. If you like maps, hopefully this is of interest to you. If you're like, I don't like history and I don't like maps, I'm sorry. Um, I, 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 um, we'll, we'll get back to words here in a minute. But as you take a look at this, I want you to get the idea. Right here, the darker green that is right there, up in the, just off to the right of the middle, upper right there, that's where Assyria was when they started out in the 900s. As we get to our story today, they are more of that middle green, all right? And as we go through our story, they are going to come down, and later on, you see uh, all the way to 612 BC, they conquer pretty much what is then the, the what, is, what is of the known world at that time. That is the Assyrian Empire. In the Assyrian Empire, they are the big player on the block when we take a look at this story. When we're talking about 735 BC, they are the big boys. They are the ones that are in charge. They are the ones that are in control. And into that is where we jump into our passage, Isaiah 7, chapter 1, with Isaiah saying these words. When Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, the son of Ramadah, uh, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. He continues on. Now the house of David was told Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. We're going to go back to that map because I just want to point out to you what's going to take place here at this time right here. As we come back to that map, you see where Judah is right down here in the bottom left quadrant, all right? Judah is down there and Jerusalem is in that area, but Israel is there on the north side of that. And in 735, the two kingdoms, they have, they, have, they have split. They have split from one another. They are no longer together, right? Israel, how many of you know the first king of Israel? Anybody remember the first king? Saul, right? They were combined. That was back around 1000 BC, so 300 years prior to this. Then David, the greatest king, right? He came and ruled over it. Then David's son, Solomon, ruled over that. And following Solomon, the kingdoms divided. And when they divided, they became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? Very creative with their names. The northern kingdom was Israel, all right? And the southern kingdom, all right? Northern Israel, the southern was Judah. 
And one of the problems with the nation of Israel was that Jerusalem was down in the southern kingdom. And Jerusalem is not only, not only the capital city, it is the house of, the most, of their religion, right? Of Jewish religion, Jerusalem is all important. So it's a very important city. And when we get to this time right here, Egypt is down in the south, right? Down to the southwest. Egypt wants to come up and they want to conquer. They want to, they want to take on Assyria. Why? Because Assyria is messing with the world economy, messing with their power. But Syria, which is to the north of Israel, they're, they're like, we don't like Assyria breathing down our necks either. But the problem is Assyria, they are too strong for any of us. So let's come together. And they reach out to Ahaz, the king of Judah, and they say, Ahaz, we want you to join with us. We want you to come together with us so that we can go take on Assyria. And Ahaz says, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. We're not going to do that, all right? And as a result of that, Ahaz has two kings closing in on him and getting ready to capture Judah and overtake them. And that's what we look at. That's what we get to when we look at this passage of Scripture, when we come to this passage of Scripture here, and when, and when we read that. That's, what, that's the process that we are looking at when we, when we get here in Isaiah chapter 7. And that's what Isaiah is setting up for us. And he jumps forward into verse 3, and he says this, Then the Lord said, then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out. Go out. He's talking to Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. And this is what the Lord gives him, the word that he gives him. Go out, you and your son, Sher Jazub. That's a great name, isn't it, huh? Anybody here want to name their son that? You're looking to name it? All right, there you go. Biblical name. To pull that out. Go to use with that. Go out and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Laudander's field. Now, God is saying, listen, I want you to go out. You're going to go meet Ahaz, and you are going to talk to him, Isaiah. You are going to give him a message from me. I am sending you forward. And he sends out to him. He says this, say to him, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Are those words that any of us could use today? Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. I would imagine that those are words that are applicable to every one of us at different points in our life, right? We get uptight. We get hurt in the midst of situation, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of heartbreak. Our lives get turned upside down. Our lives this week mourn for those through the Midwest whose lives have been turned upside down just yesterday, right? It broke your heart as you woke up and saw the news and heard the lives that were taken through the midst of this situation. You're like, Lord, Lord, what are we to do? Thinking of the people whose lives are changed forever as a result of that. In the midst of difficulties, God is right here in the midst of a difficulty that is taking place in the life of Ahaz and the life of his people in Judah, because there are nations that are coming in, they're coming in to overtake them, and God in the midst of that says, be careful, keep calm. He's sending Isaiah out to talk to the king, he's calling him, he's going out, I, uh, as a matter of fact, Ahaz, he, he sends him out to the aqueduct, and why is, I, why is uh, Ahaz the king out checking the aqueduct? Probably to make sure that they have enough water. If there is a siege on the city, how are we going to be doing? He's probably checking the walls, making sure that we're going to be safe. What's, what's, what's our situation? How safe are we? 
But in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this situation, God doesn't say that it's not there. He tells them, be calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the sons of Ramalia. God is saying, look, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to worry. You don't have to be concerned about this. They are coming to you, but I am still God. He continues, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia, sons, the, the sons, they have plotted your ruin, your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what our sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. God gives this promise right here. He's talking to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. And as he's talking to him, he's letting him know, this is what you need to know. This is the situation that is going to occur. While they are coming up to attack you and while they are, they are making plans, right? We're going to put Tabeel in place. We're going to knock Ahaz out as king. We're going to put Tabeel in place. And then we're going to get what we want out of the southern kingdom, out of Judah. And they're going to come and fight with us to take on the Assyrian army, to take on the Assyrians and knock them down. And God is saying, do not worry about it. This is just some rubble. These are just stumps of fire. They are nothing. They are nothing more than the little fire that is burning at the end. You're just waiting for that last charcoal, that last piece of wood to burn out. And God's there, yeah, don't worry about them. Don't even be concerned about it. It will not take place. It will not happen. He continues on by saying these words, for the head of, for the head of um, Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rosin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Ahaz, are you listening to this? I want you to know that this is what is going to take place. These, things, these nations that look huge to you right now, they are not. I am in control. I will take over. I will take care of it. There is not a problem here for you to be worried about. Just trust me. He continues on by saying that the head of Ephraim, the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. And then he gives these great, great words that are words for each one of us. Not only has he told us to remain calm, not only has he said, stay calm, don't worry, don't be concerned. All right, not only has he given them those words, but now he is going to give them these words as well. And he continues on, and he says this. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Ahaz Stand firm in your faith, because let me help you out. If you won't stand firm in that faith, you are not going to stand at all. So we're setting up the picture here, and it's looking good. God is speaking in through his prophet Isaiah, and he's speaking to the king of Judah, and he's saying, Ahaz, listen to me. I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to be aware that while they are coming to attack, while it may look bad for you on all all the sides around you, I am here. And these things are just smoldering little nations for which I am not concerned. And it brings us to our first question for the morning. And it's this. Where are we turning for our rescue? In the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of health crisis, in the midst of tragedy, 
in the midst of struggles financially, in the midst of loneliness, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of relational difficulties, where do we turn? Where is it that we lean into? Do we lean into our own strength? Do we say, I can fix it. I know how to fix it. I know how to take care of it. I, I, I know how to do it. Do we lean into some self-help book? Nothing, nothing wrong with any of this stuff, by the way. I've got I've to do my part, right? Um, do I lean into the wisdom of some self-help guru? Nothing wrong there to catch them. Information? Do we lean maybe to some comfort foods? Do we lean into some relationships that shouldn't be there? Do we lean into something that is wrong? Do we lean into some sort of addiction that we have? Where is it that we turn for rescue? In this story here, Ahaz is given this promise. He is told, listen, these nations, they're just smoldering logs. I will take care of you. I will deliver you. As a matter of fact, the, word of, the words of that great king that I mentioned before, David, David says this in Psalm, in Psalm 27. He says, Though, right, David, in the midst of the same situation, right, when he is attacked, when he is challenged, he says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Even in the midst of that, I will be confident. Those are the words of David. Throughout the years, God had delivered his people. God had delivered his people time and time again. Think about Abraham and Sarah in the midst of being given a promise. You are, you are given this promise. Abraham and Sarah given a promise and said, listen, you, Abraham, I've given you a covenant, and I'm going to take care of you throughout history. You are going to be a great name. You are going to be a great nation. But he doesn't stop with only, with only Abraham and Sarah. He gives a promise to Jacob. Right, Jacob, you know what? You are going to be a great, you are going to be a great leader. He gives a promise. Joseph, he delivers Joseph in the midst of difficulties. Moses, Joshua, the list goes on and on and on, right? Right there. Think of Gideon right there in the book of Judges. If you're familiar with the Jewish scriptures, if you're familiar with your Old Testament, Judges, the people sin and God delivers them, and then they sin again and God delivers them again. And they sin again and God delivers them again. Throughout the entire history of these people, God has been faithful to them. And Isaiah is here giving Ahaz, the king, a, a promise saying, look, God will deliver. God will come through. God will take care. God will lead. Ahaz, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you going to do in the midst of this? Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God. He continues on here in this passage, right? And he says, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, right? God is saying, Ahaz, uh, through, he's telling him again through Isaiah. Isaiah is giving him this insight saying, just ask. Ask a sign. Whatever it is you want to do. Deepest depths, highest heights. Ask whatever the sign is that you want to hear. He parted water for Moses, Right? He's done all sorts of things, brought fire down from heaven for Elijah, right? He's there like, you just ask the sign, God will do it for you. And this is Ahaz's response. Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Whew. Isn't that quite honorable? Think about that. Isn't that an honorable way to respond? You know what? I'm, I'm going to be righteous in this. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, Isaiah. And we might look at that and we might say, oh, Ahaz, you are so honorable. You're so upright. But um, 
that's not the case. You see, if you're not familiar with Ahaz, Ahaz was probably, well, was the most wicked king of the southern kingdom of Israel. You see, after they divided the northern kingdom, they had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king that led the people away. The southern kingdom, they had a a good number of good kings, a good number of fair kings, and a handful of wicked kings. And Ahaz was the most wicked of the kings. And when Ahaz is saying, I will not ask the Lord, I will not put him to the test, it is not because he is, he is trying to be humble and saying, no, 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 Lord, I won't do this. It is because in his own mind, he has already made up his mind as to what he is going to do. And he, does not, he is not going to call on some antiquated out there God that, can't, that he doesn't believe in, that he doesn't think will deliver, that he is not subserv- that he is not a servant to, that he does not love, that he is Ahaz wants nothing to do with the God of Israel. And when Isaiah comes and asks him and says, hey, I want you to come, hey, God's just saying, give me a sign. God is saying anything you'd like. I know how far away you are, but I will do it for you. And Ahaz is there like, nah, I'm not going to do it, not going to do it. And, and how, do we, how do we know that? If we jump back to, uh, for, actually, let me, before I jump that back to a passage of Scripture, I want to I take a look at this. Where is it? Where is it that we are turning for rescue? Where does Ahaz turn? In the midst of this situation, where is it that Ahaz turns? If you want to, you can turn back in your Bible to, uh, to uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16, but we also have the verses up here on the screen as well. Because this is what God said, what we're told about Ahaz in, in verse 5 of chapter 16. And it's this, Then Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem and besieged Ahaz. Does this sound familiar? It's the story that we're told in Isaiah. It's the story that's being told to us, that's being explained to us there. And Ahaz sent messengers um, to Tegeth Pizar, king of uh, Assyria. I am, listen to this. Listen to what he says to the, to the king of Assyria, the ones that they're looking to go and fight against. This is what he says. I am your servant and vassal. God has made him an offer. Hey, just ask anything you like. Ask a sign and I will give it to you. Give, give just, just any sort of sign, I will do it for you. I am your servant and vassal is his response to the king of Assyria. Come up and save me from out of the hand of the king of Aram and out of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. And he sent the gift to the king of of Assyria. Where do we turn? I'm not certain where we may turn in the midst of needing rescue. But Ahaz, he turned to his own wisdom. His own wisdom was, oh, let me go and reach out to the king of Assyria. Let me reach out to him. Let me set a treaty. Let me work something with him. Hey, we will be your servants. We will be your vassal. You just come down here. Rescue us. That is what he wanted to do. And what did he do in the process of it? He robbed God to rescue himself despite God's promised deliverance. He literally robbed God, robbed from the temple, took the gold and the silver from the temple and said, here you go, Assyria, you take this, you use this, come down and rescue me, we will serve you, we will be your servants, we will honor, we will follow, and we will be with you. Isn't that an amazing thing to do? Do we do that? We don't rob out of the temple because we don't 
have that. But do we rob what's rightly God sometimes in our own life to do what it is that we want to do? In the midst of difficulties and struggles, I go after my own wisdom. Back to our story. Back to our story in Isaiah right here. This is what we're told in our story there as we continue on. Then Isaiah said, since Ahaz isn't going to give a sign, Ahaz is there being self-right. No, 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 I'm not going to call on the Lord. Isaiah says this, here now, you house of David. It's not enough. It's not enough that you want to test the patience of humans. Will you also try the patience of my God as well? Will you also try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself the Lord himself, he is going to give you a sign. The Lord is going to give a sign. And what is the sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're Ahaz right now, um, the, this, the, the Hebrew term here with virgin can be a young woman of marrying age as well. So it's not anything out, a young lady's going to give birth, that, 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 right? He could interpret it and understand it that way. Lots of young ladies give birth. What's the big deal? What's, what's the problem here? There, there's no big deal here. That happens all the time, right? There's, there's, young, there's people that are born regularly. And what's going to take place, all right? You see, in this moment, a promise is made. And now the waiting begins. You see, God makes a promise and says, this is what is going to take place. A promise is made, and the waiting now begins. And you see, something takes place in the next couple of chapters. Chapter 8, guess what? Isaiah tells us there's a baby that's born. It's not named Emmanuel, though. It's named another wonderful name, a difficult name to say there. Chapter 8, baby born. Chapter 9 gives those famous Words that we are familiar with, that he will be a counselor, right? He will be a wonderful king. He will be, as a matter of fact, let me, I'll just read those words for you. And he will be called wonderful. Let me back it up. For a child is born. To us a son is given. Nothing new there, Ahaz says. Nothing new. A child is born, a son is given. Happens every day. And the government will be on his shoulders. Yeah, okay, so he's going to be something in politics. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, that's a little bit more. He's a little bit more special. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Suddenly something different is going on. Something different is taking place. You see, a promise was made. 735 years before Christ, and the waiting begins. Ahaz, he's going to go through, he's, Assyria is going to come down, and as we saw that map very earlier, Assyria is going to take over most of the then known world. As a matter of fact, Assyria is going to carry the northern kingdom off into captivity. Later, Babylon's going to come through, and they're going to take over. They're going to become the power of the world, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by Alexander the Great, finally followed by the Roman Empire. And they're going to come through and they're going to take over the then known world, kingdom after kingdom. But the waiting began. God had made a promise. And he said there will be one that comes. 
You see, in your life and my life, where is it that we look to for rescue? And not only that, when it comes to this waiting, waiting reveals the hope where our hope is placed. Right? Waiting in our lives. Waiting reveals where our hope is placed. Think about this. Um, for, for, my, for, my, for what I do, I, I work, um, I, I, I'm an athletic trainer in, in real life. Um, I, and one of the things that I do, I, I work within an orthopedic office. And one of the things that I do at the orthopedic office on a couple of mornings a week is I go over and I meet patients. And you know what those pa- you know where I'm picking the patients up from? The waiting room. You know what they think of the waiting room? Some of you have been that patient before, haven't you? Yeah, there you go. They don't always like the waiting room. Why? Because doctors aren't always on time, are they? And what happens when you wait for a doctor? Sometimes you get a little bit frustrated. But you know what? The waiting room where I'm at, 90, probably 90% of more or more of them are perfectly fine. And you know why? Because they believe that the doctor is worth waiting for. You see, when it's something that you believe is worth waiting for, we'll wait, won't we? In the midst of COVID, how many of you are tired of waiting? We just want life back to normal. Right? And yet here we are waiting. We're into 22 months of this about right now, right? 20, 21 months in that range there of waiting for life to just return to normal. Will it ever happen? Waiting. Waiting. On a lighter note, during this whole COVID situation, I got a friend of mine. He and I, he's a, he's a pastor over, over at Caltab, the pastor at Caltab. He and I, um, he and I drove down to Wilkesbury. All right, to do lunch together, to go to a place called Chick-fil-A. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely, see? We waited in a line that wrapped around the building, right? Because drive-thru is all that it's open. And we waited and we waited after driving all that way. And neither one of us got mad. Why? Because for some dumb reason, we think that it's wise to drive an hour south to go to Chick-fil-A, to wait an hour around, coming around the building, 40 minutes, I don't know how long we waited, but to drive around the building to get a couple things of chicken, right, to drive back home when there's chicken places all along the way. What is our problem? The sauce. (laughs) I think you're correct. Right? You, you understand that. We wait and we wait. You see, in the midst of waiting, in the midst of waiting, it's what we're waiting for. The anticipation, the anticipation of hope, the anticipation of Christmas morning, the anticipation of the excitement of that. We wait and we hope for it. And in the midst of this, God calls out to us. In the midst of waiting, he calls out and he says, be careful. Keep calm, right? Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. Be careful. Keep calm. God calls out and he says, if you are going to stand, you, you need to stand firm if, because if we don't stand firm in our faith, we're not going to stand at all. We need to stand firm. We need to be firm in our faith. God's calling out to us in the midst of this waiting, whatever the waiting may be in your life. You see, a promise was made 
but the waiting remained. For Ahaz, a promise is made. For the nation of Israel, a promise is made. There is going to be a Messiah. There is going to be one that comes and delivers. And they wait, and they wait. 735 years. See that? It makes my 40-minute wait for Chick-fil-A not seem that long, doesn't it? It's just around the block, just around the corner, easy to do. Right? Can't go there today. Maybe we'll go tomorrow now that we're all hungry for it, right? Um, but in the midst of this, in the midst of our waiting, God is there, and he's calling out to us. And he wants us to wait on him. Isaiah, a little bit later, in this book, in his prophecy, he says these words, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those of you that memorize this passage as a young person and are my age or maybe a little bit younger or even a little bit older, you know that when you memorize this passage, you memorize it, but those that wait upon the Lord. I find it interesting that here in this same book, Isaiah is going to talk about, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah 41, where this verse comes to, he's giving them rest, comfort, comfort my people. Know that the hardness, the difficulties are over because Isaiah has been difficult. Chapter 7, right, there's, there's, this, there's this proclamation to Ahaz, listen, there's going to be destruction. If you don't follow God, you need to follow God. And Ahaz says, no, nah, I'm making a deal elsewhere. Now in chapter 41, he calls out and he says, comfort ye, comfort my people. And at the end of that chapter, he comes around to this passage, this verse right here where he says, but those who hope, those who wait, the word can be used to say either, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You see, when you and I are able to wait on the Lord, he renews our strength. It's not always easy, right? Going through a health crisis, it's not easy. Going through a financial crisis, it's not easy. Going through relationship issues, it's not easy. But see, we were all going through a sin issue where we were separated from God. And sometimes we get caught up thinking that all these other needs are our greatest need. And yet God says, you know what? Your greatest need was a Savior. And thus, when the time was fulfilled, the words that were spoken to Matthew were the virgin will conceive. What's that? Yeah, those words of Isaiah. The words that Isaiah had spoken 735 years earlier. A virgin will conceive. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him what? Emmanuel. A promise made. A promise kept, a promise made, a promise fulfilled. Waiting, 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 year after year after year after decade after century. And God finally steps into time and delivers his, delivers his son, which means God with us. And that's what we look forward to. And it's what we're reminded of every Christmas season, that we have a God that is with us. Not a God that is out there. Where are you, God? I can't find you. I can't see you. But rather, God with us. As we go through this time together, as you go through this series and this week, next week, and Christmas Eve, may you be encouraged. May we be reminded 
that we have a God that is with us. He is our hope in the midst of waiting, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty. May our faith be in him. May we be encouraged through him. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, Lord, we are reminded that you are a great and gracious God. You have blessed us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are, Lord, you are in the process of walking with us as we wait. God, I don't know what it is that each one here is waiting on this morning. But Lord, I just pray that this morning might give them hope. May we realize that we have a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And we can rejoice and we can celebrate in that. And we say, thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you would bless and encourage each one that is here. Walk with them this week. May they go forward here, Lord, encouraged and praising our Lord and Savior. But may we go forward, Lord, knowing that we have a Lord and Savior who made a promise to us. You are our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name.